National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. Thrilled to be joined this week by my friend and colleague, Chris Benini, to break down the biggest storylines in college football this week in an hour or less. And just a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show, Five Stars, because much like your favorite recruits, we always want to make an immediate impact. And Chris, I am very glad that you're here, although I guess I probably should have timed it a little better because... I guess you, you kind of have some bragging rights based on our alma maters this week. Um, and honestly, one of the most surprising results of the whole season, Michigan State beating Michigan and uh, giving Mel Tucker his first win as a Spartans head coach. And it just so happens to come in the rivalry game. Nicole, it is great to be here. For those who don't know, Nicole is a Michigan alum. I am a Michigan State alum. Our rivalry goes uh, back to when we were students. And for those who don't know, we'll hit this quickly, but the Michigan and Michigan State student newspapers play each other in football mm-hmm. every year, except this year, uh, obviously for pandemic reasons. They play a flag football game or a touch football game the night before Michigan, Michigan State, and we always, since in the four years now we've worked together, we always uh, taunt each other leading up to that game. It didn't actually happen this year. Unfortunately, it might happen in the spring, maybe, hopefully, but Nicole and I have known each other for a while back before we worked together and uh for quite a long time we did not like each other well i'm just saying based on my experiences with the state news in that game i didn't really like anyone who's associated with that like i i personally like hated the state news more than i even cared about like michigan michigan state and nicole got almost got in a number of fights i no i there were people and we can we can bring in some witnesses to some of this, but, you know, there was some holding and some, some rules that were not being followed by, by the state news. But Michigan Daily, the Michigan Daily, their streak lives on. I think it's a 15 in a row. So hopefully they do play in the spring. Um, but it is an interesting timing to have you here, Chris, because you um, and Colton Pouncey are my two go-tos for, for Michigan State things. And, and I do want to start there coming out of the weekend while we can still recap the weekend a little bit. I mean, I, I think, again, I, I think it's one of the most surprising results of the entire season. And I, I'm, I'm curious your level of surprise of, of Michigan State pulling that out, Rocky Lombardi doing what he did. I mean, again, it was just, it was kind of out of nowhere, certainly very different from losing to Rutgers and turning the ball over seven times. But but where does it fit into the weirdness that is the 2020 season for you? Yeah, I mean, this, I think it's the weirdest game of the season. I don't know if it's the largest point spread underdog win or not. It started at 25. I think it got down to 21. Uh, I, I mean, I thought MSU had absolutely zero chance they just lost to Rutgers the week before and I know there were seven turnovers in that loss but it was a team that didn't look like it knew what it was doing and then it goes to Ann Arbor looks like they have a plan looks like they know what they're doing and they were the better team from start to finish Michigan never led in that game it wasn't fluky it was just straight up Michigan State was a better team and you know 
once again, you know, a Michigan team got a lot of hype early in the season. A quarterback got a lot of attention, and I think Joe Milton's a really good quarterback. But uh, yeah, it kind of sends Michigan back to, you know, every couple of years, every other year, they're kind of in the spot where are they going to get over that hump? And now two games into the season. Some fans are ready to bail on, on Harbaugh once again, and they haven't even played Ohio State yet this time. Yeah, I mean, it, the arc of the season is usually a little different. We, we do get, you know, we, we even, you know, in the media, you know, you wonder, do you buy Michigan? And you, you kind of feel them out. You get overexcited. This is, you know, I, I was there. It's the September Heismans. There was always one out of Michigan. You always get overexcited. And, but you're right. Usually it's the Ohio State receivers that kind of torch that secondary. And, um, you know, for Michigan State to do that, it already basically makes Mel Tucker's first season um, winning that game. As, as you know, that is a very important thing to do in that state. And you get bragging rights for 364 days. So that, I think, you know, was one of the big results out of the weekend. So was Clemson surviving a scare against BC. Um, you know, and, and I think I want to I start there with, with some of the top headlines of the week because Trevor Lawrence, who missed the Boston College game because he tested positive for COVID, he's also going to miss the Notre Dame game. And we saw his backup, who is another phenomenal Clemson quarterback in DJ Ungalale, He's going to be really good. They were missing some defensive players as well, um, you know, due to injury and the like and different things. That was a more glaring loss. But I do think that this sets up a very interesting game with Notre Dame and just conundrum. I mean, I I think we, we haven't really framed too much in terms of the college football playoff with COVID yet. But the absence of Trevor Lawrence, regardless of what happens in the game, will be felt and impacted when you talk about like the CFP selection committee. So what are your expectations or how do you view Clemson right now with DJ at quarterback? Well, first thing, how, how comfortable did you feel saying his last name right there? Okay. I practiced it a couple times. It was right. Right. I, I think I did it right. I, I, I thought it was, uh, Uyagalele, but I might be... Yeah. He, okay. There it... was actually... <laughs> We there was a video. I watched, I watched the video. Yeah, our, our colleague Grace Rayner tweeted a video of some people saying his name, and I I studied it as well. So maybe we're both wrong. Maybe we're not. I'm not sure. But uh, we well, can just call him DJ from now on. Yeah, we we're gonna him. cop out and, and do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was you know that second half is kind of what we thought we would get from him. I mean, he, five star freshman, all the hype in the world comes out. First quarter, uh, that first half was just weird. You have the Travis Etienne fumble that's returned. You have, you know, Phil the jerk store Jerkovic, the quarterback at BC. Uh, Did you just invent play as that? well? I invented it over the weekend, and I'm going to stick with it. The line is jerk store to to uh, to use that Seinfeld reference. He's a good quarterback, but yeah, you know, we we the Clemson we got in the second half is the Clemson I think we expected. That's the kind of Clemson that can go into Notre Dame and get a win, but, you know, we haven't seen DJ in, in a real road situation here. Yeah, and, and I think it's almost a win-win. Um, unfortunately, I know Notre Dame fans aren't going to like to hear that, but if if Clemson doesn't win this game, and there is, you know, obviously very likely that this could be a rematch in the ACC championship game, as weird as that is to wrap our heads around, um, I, I do think that, you know, 
the CFP looks at player availability. If Trevor Lawrence isn't there and they lose this game, it's not going to be weighted the same as a full-strength loss to Notre Dame would. Um, and so I think that there's a little bit of that, and then and obviously you know there, there's going to be that adjustment and the consideration that it is a, a, a true freshman playing in South Bend. So I'm really interested to see how it goes. I, I think that you know Notre Dame – being in the ACC, you know, I, I almost feel like I've watched them or watched them closely a little bit less. And and I know that that's been a running joke, right, that the quality of the schedule got worse since they joined the ACC yeah. for the year. But um, I, I do feel like, you know, this is going to be a big test for them and, and just sort of where we feel about them. If we if we think that Notre Dame is actually a top five team. Yeah, I mean, if, if Clemson loses this game and they're not blown out, I mean, if they lose this game and Trevor Lawrence comes back and they win out, they're going to be in the playoff. They'll get that, you know, uh, mulligan, so to speak, if they're playing without Trevor Lawrence in this game, if they keep it reasonably close. Uh, so in, in that sense, you know, Clemson's kind of playing with house money here, I think. I, I think they'll be okay. Um, and, yeah, this is the, it's been a weird season for Notre Dame. I mean, they, they scrape by Louisville. Sometimes their running game looks terrific. Sometimes they don't look so good. It, it, it's kind of been an inconsistent year, and I'm more than anything, honestly, I'm coming into this game, and I want to see if Notre Dame is for real. They, they've been sitting in that top five, top four spot for a while, but they haven't really been tested. So th- that's kind of my biggest thing coming into this. I, I want to see if this Notre Dame team is is legit and if they can hang with Clemson, even without Trevor Lawrence. So you're the one who do you do our rankings every week, and. I don't envy that, first of all, because we've been adding different teams and, and the numbers change for the for the rankings each week. But how hard is it or how much of a drop off in your mind is that three to four and like four to five spots? I mean, it's just so clear that we have three great teams again. And then I have so many questions about the teams behind them. Is Is that the hardest thing that you do each week, figuring out number four? At the moment, yeah, and it's kind of you kind of just got to wait to see what somebody else does. So I, I rank every team that every week I rank every team. Normally that's 130 teams. This year it started with 76, and as more teams start playing, I'm adding them every week. So this week it's up to 103. Next week we'll get to 127, and then that, that'll be it for the rest of the year. So my my, my main focus in the one in the 103. Uh, this week was who, who's number four? Who, who are the teams that have a realistic spot to the number four spot in the playoff if Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State went out? And I, I've still got Georgia there because, you know, they did lead Alabama at halftime. You know, they end up getting kind of blown out a bit. But they play Florida this week, and, and that, that'll really, you know, if they win it, they're solidly in that number four spot. If they lose, they're going to they're gonna fall out. You know, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Texas A&M still hanging around there, Florida, and maybe even BYU and maybe Oklahoma State. So it, it's tough. And I had a lot of people in the comments uh, upset that I had Georgia at number four. They think it should be this team, that team, whatever. And, and they're all fair points. I mean, th- these are my personal rankings, and I, I think other people can do different things. So I've got Notre Dame at number five right now. I didn't move them ahead of Georgia when Georgia lost Alabama because, you know, Georgia beat Auburn and Notre Dame just hadn't done anything of substance yet. And they Still really haven't. That's why. That's what I want to see this week. The, the one thing, though, that it, it, Trevor's absence absolutely impacts is, is individual awards. I mean, because I'm with you in terms of, like, CFP impact, potential mulligan, all those things. 
not being that too, too worried about the state of the Clemson program right now with Trevor missing, you know, briefly. But I do think it potentially impacts the Heisman. I mean, I think if Clemson doesn't really skip a beat without him, not that, like, Trevor Lawrence is replaceable. We're talking about another all-time great Clemson quarterback. But I do think that it could potentially impact the Heisman race. I mean, even on the athletic straw poll this week, Justin Fields is now ahead, and and he's only played two weeks. I mean, I, I, I do think that the individual piece of this does provide, you know, an opening for, for someone else or a Zach Wilson and BYU. They have a spotlight game we're going to get to later in this podcast. I mean, th- there's going to be some opportunities for other guys if Trevor Lawrence is missing two games, including their biggest game of the season. Yeah, I, I mean, and, you know, Trevor Lawrence, he was leading our Heisman poll last week. You know, he's he was the betting favorite. But if, you know, and he's played well and his numbers have been pretty good. But if we're being honest, a lot of that was you know, the expectations in, in the preseason hype, future number one pick type of, of stuff. He hasn't had the opportunities yet to have those showcase games this year where you win a Heisman, have a Heisman moment, so to speak. And that would have been this weekend against Notre Dame. So, you know, if Trevor Lawrence goes through the season without having really played anybody of note uh, outside of the, the potential ACC championship game, then, yeah, it certainly impacts um, – that, you know, Trevor Lawrence, not only was he number one last week, he's down to number three in our poll. He's behind Justin Fields and Mac Jones. So in a shortened season, when you're not playing as many games, when you don't have that many spotlight type of games, you know, sitting out for two weeks definitely, I think, has an impact on those chances. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Other teams coming back this week. We get the entire Pac-12 back. We're getting Maction returns. Um, we have a 9 a.m. kickoff local time in, in the Pac-12. My favorite tidbit and fun fact of the day came from Doug Haller, our Arizona State beat writer. He said because it's a 9 a.m. Pacific kickoff for ASU and USC, their pregame meal is at 4.45 a.m. And Herm Edwards emphasized that's when breakfast will begin they may not arrive for another 30 minutes, but they're expected to be awake at 4.45 in the morning to play this football game. I feel like that's going to be an ugly game. Just, I, just putting that out there. Going, I'm going out on a limb here. I don't know about you, but I'm typically not hungry at 4.45 in the morning. Only if it's from the night before. Like, really, <laughs> yeah. if we're, if we're being serious. Yeah, like, so, yeah, so that's going to be really weird. I mean, as soon as we knew the Pac-12 was going to have fans, that idea popped back into our heads of hey are mm-hmm. they are they going to do the noon eastern time 9 a.m local kickoffs because if you were going to try it out this would be the time to do it and i know a lot of the coaches or some of the coaches in the league weren't happy about it for that specific reason because they have to get up so early but my question is and it ties specifically to the season are and I, I, we don't have the answers here necessarily but i was surprised based on that quote from tom uh, from herm edwards 
that it sounds like they're having a team meal. You know, I, I wrote a story. Oh, yeah, that's a good at, point. At the beginning of the season or a couple weeks into the season about SMU. And I kind of went behind the scenes with SMU and their COVID protocols because they've been one of the best teams in the country at keeping kids safe. They've they've had they only have like 75 to 80 kids. They, they basically sent the walk ons home. Uh, they don't do team meals. They the, the kids are in the hotel and they get a meal sent to their room. And for road games, they didn't get to the stadium until like 90 minutes beforehand. And then they quickly get dressed and go out onto the field the least least amount of time as possible in the locker room because that's a spot where COVID could theoretically spread. So that would be a way to kind of get around this is just to get to the stadium later. You know, coaches and players know that they spend way too much time around the field before the game, just wasting time waiting for it to start. Part of the reason they get there so early is because you have fans and you got tailgating and traffic and all that stuff. So you got to get there early. But in these cases, you don't have the traffic. So you could get up later. You could get to the stadium later. I think they'd be okay. So it's kind of a long winded way of saying, I don't think you need to eat breakfast at 445 in the morning. Uh, I don't think so either, but I, I'm guessing it's a little bit more about waking them up um, and, and the body clock thing. Body clock. It's, it's been a while since we heard those it's things. It's back. It's back. Can't wait for that to come up. Uh, in, it in did originate playoffs. with a Pac-12 team playing a noon game on the East Coast. Um or maybe it was Northwestern. I forget where. Yeah, they, where it was the game Stanford. Was. Stanford. They lost Stanford. at Northwestern. I guess that's Central Time, but but still. Yeah, close enough. But that's where we got our body clock uh, conversation. And but my my bigger thing here is, and and maybe it's just the Pac-12 understanding, you know, just what their ceiling is with the amount of games or whatever it might be. But you're not putting your teams in a great position. Um, you know, again, you know, maybe you're just kind of throwing in the, the waving a white towel on the playoff because you're you're not going to have that many games and, and you don't really think that, you know, USC or Arizona State is, isn't going to, you know, factor into that at all. But it, it is kind of weird to put two teams in your own league at a disadvantage and, and to force them to kind of be an experiment here for this TV window, and, and that's all. And, and maybe that's not a big deal. I mean, and, and maybe they'll play fine. But I, I just think, I understand that you had to find schools that were willing to do it. I, I just really thought it would be mountain schools, just, again, to save one extra hour and and give it a shot that way, or not not like a USC. I don't know. Just to me, that's that, that's surprising. Like These are South contenders um, that, that you're putting in this position right out of the gate. Yeah, no, no league puts its own teams in, in a more difficult spot from a scheduling perspective than the Pac-12. This has been a problem for a while. You look at you know the, the teams that they have play on Friday nights on the road and the number of times they've lost their top team at USC losing to Washington State or, or, or a, a team – you know, with high hopes in a very tough spot from a schedule standpoint. That's like the complete opposite of how the SEC works. They typically, you know, put their teams in the best position to succeed with schedules, and the Pac-12 typically doesn't, and that is, uh, once again, the case here. Um, I want, you know, you are our group of five expert, um, so I would love for you to lay out what to expect from action. I think the coolest part here is that, um, you know, we've got a lot of midweek games to start the season for, for all the MAC teams. Um, but, but I am curious, um, you know, I know you've got a preview that is running today on our site laying out, you know, how you see the MAC shaping up and, and the top storylines. But, um, you know, give us an overview. What, what, what are we paying attention to outside of, you know, just the pirate flag being waved, which I do enjoy 
from action. Well, actually, I, they probably can't do it since they're not playing non-conference games this year. But I do like the the match. I hope it's there. I just it I, I miss it. It, I miss it, it should be. It should be. But no, get get ready for six Maction games on Wednesday night. This Wednesday night, the Mac comes back with six games all on the same night. They're playing a <laughs> six-game schedule over six weeks. The first three weeks are midweek games. They're Tuesdays and, uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, not this Tuesday because of the election, so they're all going to be on Wednesday. So you're going to have three straight weeks of three games on Tuesday, three games on Wednesday. And then the final three weeks are going to be three Saturday games going into the conference championship. So they're playing the fewest amount of games of all the leagues. They were the first one to, to, to postpone. They were the last one to come back. They're going to be testing four times a week, which is only behind the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Uh, but what you can expect out of the MAC is anybody can win this thing. It, 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 last year, no team in the league won more than eight games. I think 10 of the 12 won between five and eight games. Akron, went, which went winless... Played one MAC. They, they, they went 0 12. They were the worst team in the country. Their closest MAC game, the only one that was within one score or within two scores, was against Miami of Ohio, who won the conference. So I think Miami's going to be pretty good. Uh, Buffalo's going to be pretty good. And, and then in the, the West Division, you've got Central Michigan, Toledo. Uh, Central Western Toledo, maybe Eastern Michigan, maybe Ball State. A- anybody can really win this league, honestly. I mean, I think Miami and Buffalo are the two top teams, but uh, you're going to get a lot of midweek football over the next three weeks, so enjoy it. I think that is going to be awesome, and I love that that the two things we're getting back this week are Maction and Pac-12 After Dark, and these are like very college football internet things. Like these are when when you watch – Maction in the middle of the week when you watch Pac-12 After Dark, that's when you know you have a problem. And that's when you know you're you're with your people. It's a real season now. Yes. Now it's officially started. I agree. Um, but yeah, so I mean, so now we're going to have, um, you know, midweek games. We've also got a big one on Friday night that I want to get your thoughts on. Um, the Bachelor is on Thursday this week, which we know that the quarterback of the Friday night game will be watching, um, despite the fact that he has a big game. But Zach Wilson's a Bachelor Bachelorette fan, so I feel like we should actually invite him into our group chat because I, I feel like he's probably got some takes. But that is my favorite fun fact about the Heisman hopeful. Yes, and it definitely helped his yeah, it helped his Heisman odds with the sports writer community without a doubt. <laughs> if you didn't see the quotes, I think it was last week. Uh, he he admitted that he uh, loves watching The Bachelor Bachelorette. He knows people on his team do. He knows the coaches do, even if they won't admit it. He said his offense coordinator uh, Jeff Grimes called and asked him which uh, which game film he was watching, and he. <laughs> Talk about talk about being confident in yourself. And he responded to his offensive coordinator by saying he wasn't watching film. He was watching <laughs> The Bachelorette, and he'd get to it when the show ended. So that kid is uh, has no shortage of confidence on the field, uh, clearly or off the field as well. And and you know Zach Wilson once took two girls to prom as a senior. He actually early enrolled in BYU that spring and went to prom with with. Uh, two girls who were his friends. So he is uh, well-versed in that type of uh, situation. I spy a future um, Bachelor contestant out of Zach Wilson. Um, we have written about the football ties, and he will be one of them. Um, just a prediction there. So so Zach Wilson and BYU, 
I feel like have actually really benefited from the way that the season has gone so far and that there have been kind of these, like you mentioned spotlight games, and I like that phrasing, but BYU has actually been on our TVs quite a bit. And I think a lot of people have been exposed to Zach Wilson. It's part of the reason that he is, you know, in the Heisman race, could very well find himself a finalist. I don't know if they're going to send them to New York, but he absolutely could be that. Um, and, and this is their big game. This is a game that wasn't, we, we weren't sure was going to be played if the Mountain West didn't come back. But BYU-Boise, is this the biggest game outside of the Power Five this season? I mean, at this point, yeah. I mean, it didn't. We didn't, weren't sure at the beginning of the season, but BYU is now in that New Year Six, maybe college football discussion. And, and credit to the Mountain West as well. Um, Boise State's only playing seven Mountain West games, while everybody else plays eight. Uh, and Air Force plays six, but they're all playing eight. They're letting Boise State play seven, so Boise State could play this game against BYU. It's, I think it's good for for both teams. You know, it, if BYU wants a shot. They got to make an impression here. It's going to be on the road on a Friday night at, at Boise State, a team that's two and zero. You know, is this Boise team? I'm sorry, is this BYU team for real? We're going to finally find out. They have been feasting on inferior opponents. They had a little bit of a scare at Houston and came through with like a 22 to nothing fourth quarter, I think, in, in Bloom Away. So uh, everybody should watch this game on Friday night because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. If you haven't watched Zach Wilson. I think our friend Richard Johnson pegged him the Mormon Manziel uh, a couple years ago. It's a good way to describe him. He, he can make throws from all over the field. He, 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 again, does not lack in confidence, but he has the arm strength. He is rising up draft boards right now. Very fun guy to watch, Zach Wilson, uh, with, with a BYU team that's been really good on offense and defense against a typical group of five power here in Boise State. Should be a fun one. Uh, B, BYU actually upset Boise State last year though both teams had backup quarterbacks. It was kind of a weird game. It's interesting because I feel like we have paid more attention. And again, maybe it's because of the way this season went and that certain leagues weren't playing to start and different things. But it actually feels like these non-Power 5 teams that we think could be pretty good are actually getting that level of respect. Like, it's actually matching you know, Cincinnati is is being discussed as a potential playoff team by you. You started that, and they look the part. I mean, they have a, a defense that is legit in a year where no one really has legitimate defenses. And, I, you know, I, I think that people are letting themselves think about these things or a BYU and the resume that they're piecing together in ways that obviously we didn't pre-UCF, you know, trying to make, you know, the CFP uh, conversation and more difficult, but also it just feels like it's a weird year where weird things can happen and we're more open to it. Like it's, it's almost like the college football universe is like kind of parting the sea a little bit and there's opportunities maybe for some of these teams to not just aim for like that, that new year six bowl spot as, as the, the highest thing that they could achieve. Yeah. I mean, it, it opened early, you know, when, when it didn't look, when we started and the big 10 and the PAC 12 weren't playing, there was a prime opportunity there. I actually, you know, our staff, we all made our playoff picks at the beginning of the season. I picked UCF to make the playoff. I, I was the only one who picked a group of five team. I figured if there was a year for it to happen, it, it could be this year without the Big Ten and Pac-12. They obviously come back. That kind of changes things. But it sets up a spot where because these conferences are playing so many games against each other, like a 10-game SEC schedule, they could these conferences could eat each other up and it could – Give a shot for a Boise, uh, for a Cincinnati 
or a BYU or, you know, depending if someone else comes up late, probably not. Coastal Carolina, probably not, but, you know, who knows. And we've seen these teams on, on TV more. You know, UCF, Memphis had a, had a had a good, I think it was a 3.30 spot. You know, Cincinnati SMU was a was an ESPN2 night game a couple of weeks ago. BYU's had a couple of Friday games where uh, where everybody's gotten to see them. So, yeah, there, there's, there's more of a spotlight. They knew that coming in. And we've got some teams here that could have a chance. Now, BYU is not a group of five team. They, they could only make it as an at-large in terms of the New Year's Six. But as it relates to the playoffs... Yeah, you know, there's there's good teams at the group five level. There always have been. And now with the way this is shaped up, this is probably the best chance they've had in a while. Which is kind of funny because if you think about it, when these leagues are going conference only with scheduling, you would think, oh, well, who are they? You know, where are those big games? Where are they going to get them? And, and, and how are they going to have the kind of resume that that works but you know again when you're talking about Cincinnati and the American you know there is respect there's respect for that league and in what you know beating a UCF beating an SMU what that means and so um I I think it's going to be really interesting to play out and and I think you're absolutely right on kind of like eating your own a little bit with with these other leagues I mean we've seen it already you know in the in the Big Ten for example like you've got you know, Indiana's rise is taking away from Penn State, right? Now Penn State's 0-2. And, and, and you know, we we mentioned right out of the gate, you know, Michigan State coming back after beating, losing to Rutgers, beating Michigan, right? Like, it's, you know, you've got weird teams at 2-0. and You've got Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern, 2-0 and for the first time ever at the same time. And then Iowa's 0-2. Minnesota's 0-2. Penn State's 0-2. And it's it's almost like you you think about these things when when you go conference only, but you kind of forget. It also means there's going to be some some losses and some records that are going to surprise us because a you're not playing the right amount of games anyway, but b like weird things are going to happen and always do in conference play. But it's strange when it's kind of right out of the gate. Like I, I think the Big Ten being so bananas so far is kind of probably a good primer for the Pac-12 and and even the SEC as we you know kind of get going down the home stretch. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got Penn State like just outside by top twenty-five, even though they're zero and two, because it's like, you know, a, 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 an improbable series of events had to happen for them to lose that Indiana game, and they lost it by the literal slimmest of margins. And then they yes. played Ohio State within what thirteen points. You know, they weren't blown out, so it's like I don't know. They've kind of shown something here, but you only have so many chances. You know, if you lose a game or two, you shouldn't. You know that cripples any chances you you had to do something not like now michigan they're in a tough spot where where uh any any hope of a new year six or playoffs probably out the window unless they beat ohio state somehow so yeah you know the sec 10 games the big 10's got eight games they're going to have a ninth game when you don't have those games especially for the teams with a new coach you know they didn't have time to get used to things and that i, I think michigan state was the, the clear example that the first game again against Rutgers. Didn't look like they knew what they were doing. It was the first time they were in any sort of game situation with Mel Tucker. And, you know, teams get better week to week. And, and they got things in order. And so that's what's going to happen. Now you have a 2-0 Indiana, uh, ranked 13th, I think, top 15 team. So all mm-hmm. it takes is a couple of games here and there, and all of a sudden you're in a spot you didn't expect. So uh, it, it makes for a, uh, a fun watch week to week. Yeah, and this is a good excuse. So when I was doing the story last week about the 10-game conference-only schedule for the SEC, got one of my favorite quotes of the season from Sam Pittman, who said that, you know, when you 
get off to a start. You know, people are complimenting you. Arkansas does some surprising things early. Uh, when you have a schedule like that, you have no time. You can't even pat yourself on the back. You can't get one pat in. And uh, I just love that. I, I see why, you know, he's he's gotten some guys to play hard for him. He's just a delightful human. I, I, um, had, I mean, I, but, I had Arkansas when they were like what, one and two or something. I mean, I had Arkansas ranked for a yeah. couple of weeks here un- yeah. until this last loss to Texas A&M because, you know, they looked pretty good. They led Georgia at halftime. They beat Mississippi State, beat Ole Miss, uh, should yeah. have beaten Auburn. Like, you know, they may be two and two, one and two, whatever, uh, but they looked pretty good. And so... The way we evaluate teams is this year more than ever. It's more than just the record. Yeah, and I mean, and everyone's bowl eligible. Again, congratulations to all. I'm very proud of all of you. But like, we don't even know. Sort of. Again, we don't know exactly how many bowls are going to go going to play, and then what that threshold's even going to be for a team that gets picked. You know, is is four wins going to kind of do it this year? Who knows? Like, it's just it's it's so weird, and I think we kind of like need to change the way that we like compare teams or evaluate success this year um which is just something good to keep in mind especially as the pac 12 and mac get back because they're going to play fewer games than everybody else so all right so for our last call segment it is for a mini rant or a reason to cheers before we go uh anything that we haven't gotten into and there's a lot of ground that we can cover um i'm gonna start i i got a reason to cheers this time I, i i gotta say one of the most delightful moments of the season happened this past weekend, and it was Joe Tess getting to call a moment where his son forced Clemson to go offsides, like had a pivotal moment in the play, in game. His son plays special teams. There's going to be very, very few opportunities for that. Um, just a really, really cool moment, and I think we all love Joe Tess. We're all glad that he's back on college football, and all of those things kind of had to align and for him to obviously be calling a game where his son did something that really impacted the game was just super cool. So cheers to that. And uh, Chris, it's, it's all yours. Your last, your last call. My, my parting message is uh, don't trust the polls. And I think you all know what I'm talking about. I'm of course talking about the fact that Michigan is still ranked in the coaches poll and the AP poll and Northwestern is not. Does not make any sense. Michigan should not be ranked. Northwestern is 2-0 with a dominant win over Maryland and then a win at Iowa. Northwestern should be ranked. Michigan should not. Uh, Make your voices heard. Contact your local AP voter. Tell them (laughs) to change that next week. Uh, So, yeah, don't trust the polls. Listen, listen, people always overrate Michigan. I'm allowed to say that. I'm an alum. They're always they're always going to stick around. It's a name brand thing, as you know. I get, I, you know how it, you would think, given all the Medill grads in sports media, that Northwestern <laughs> would get a fair shake. But uh, no, credit to the Wildcats. They're an impressive two and zero this year. Yeah, and uh, maybe they just aren't aren't AP poll voters. Maybe they're too good for the AP poll. I don't know what they teach you at Medill. Maybe you're not allowed to vote in these things. <laughs> It's possible. It's possible. Uh, but yeah, Scott Dockerman, we were discussing this on uh, on the big football show that uh, he he buys Northwestern as a legit contender in the West. So that will also be um, a parting shot from from this show. And Chris, I, I do appreciate that you also got an extra jab at Michigan in. But again, the Daily has a 15 year streak over the state news. That is the important streak. That is the one and the rivalry that matters. So just need to make sure. All of our listeners understand. Also, the state news is 1-0 in alumni games, and our colleague, Joe Rexrode, 
uh, once dislocated his shoulder in that one alumni game because this game matters. So go State News whenever they play next. All right, and uh, beat Satan News whenever they play next. Um, I will let you go with that. Andy Staples will be back tomorrow. He'll be joined, as always, with Ari Wasserman on Fridays for all of the ridiculous bets that they make with each other's, and then they post videos of them doing disgusting stuff, and we all have to endure it. We will see you next Tuesday on Power Hour. Thank you for listening, and like I said, five stars, immediate impact, recruits. That's what we want to be for you. Talk to you soon.